G'day everyone, it's James Davis from the Paxhoed Academy again, and this time I'm joined by Anne from IT Agree. How are you doing, Anne? Good, thanks, James. Good, really good. You've got a bit of a funny accent there. Where, where are you from? Where are you I was going to say the same about you. Uh, I'm from Auckland, New Zealand. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm really thankful for you jumping on um, today because we're going to talk about an extremely important topic around the contracts, something mm -hmm. I've been talking to a lot of people about the need of. And you're, you're an ex worldwide expert on this for MSPs. So what better person to talk to about contracts than you? So let's dive in. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me why contracts are important? Sure, yeah. So, you know, what we see is that, you know, MSPs are providing amazing services, often so passionate about services that they're providing, but um, typically really quite concerned about business risk, you know? So on the surface, things can look great. Underneath, they're actually carrying around this business risk, not really quite sure, how to manage it, what to do about it, and you know, um, probably thinking that you know it's part of being an MSP is that you carry business risk. You're reselling things. There's cyber attacks, and you know it's just one of those things. It's part of being in business as an MSP. But you know, in actual fact, there is a lot that MSPs can do about it. And you know, um, obviously, our, our focus is on contracts um, and. MSPs often think that the contract is there just for the worst case scenario, you know, if you face legal proceedings. But actually, there's a whole lot of other areas of business risk that MSPs account, encounter daily, weekly, monthly, you know, things that, uh, you know, out of scope. I could tell you a lot about those sorts of business risk, but essentially, you know, to respond to your question, why do they need a, a contract, um, is to, to manage and, and to uh, reduce those business risks for their business. And, you know, think about it, really a contract is a written record of, of what you're agreeing. So, um, well, it can be a written record. If you don't write it down, you still have a contract if you're providing services, but you want to write it down because of the complexity of the services being provided by MSP. So you want a written contract is really what we're talking about. So, so you mentioned there, if you haven't written it down, there's, there's an informal contract what do you mean by that? So you, you don't need a contract to be in writing for there to be an enforceable contract as such. You know, you offer, there's an offer, you're going to provide some services, the customer's going to accept that offer. You've got to have the right level of certainty around, you know, the nature of the services and the pricing and so on. Um, but you don't actually need to write that down. You know, if I, if I agreed with you to sell you my bike, uh, bicycle, we don't need to write that down in order for you to say, actually, you agreed to sell me the bike and we set the price and so on. You know, uh, we don't need to write that down. Um, but, you know, the greater the complexity of, of what you're delivering and, um, you know, all the commercial attributes around that, the more it obviously makes sense to write that contract down. And so from your experience, uh out there in the industry, how many MSPs do actually have written contracts? What would be the proportion? Well, yeah, I, do, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but I think it's a surprising, surprisingly high number that still rely on a good old-fashioned handshake and they believe, you know, their customers trust them and that's all they need and they wouldn't want to put a written contract in front of them. And so I don't know the actual percentage, but I think there's still an alarmingly high percentage. And, 
you know, just on that trust point of, you know, of course, trust is important. And, um, you know, in fact, it's essential. But trust in itself will cause a lot of problems because, you know, there's, there's too much at stake there. And there, there are too many details um, at play for people to understand what they're actually agreeing if they're relying on a handshake. From my experience, I reckon there's probably, I'm probably being overly generous, but I'd say 70% probably don't have a contract out there in the wild. Yeah, well, you might not be far wrong, you know, um, or, or if they don't have a contract at all in writing, um, it, well, if they do have a contract in writing, it's often um, not really the sort of contract that is appropriate, you know, because it may have been okay 10 years ago when they've got some general terms and conditions, but with all the, the nature of the services being provided now, um, it's really not going to um, serve you well to have a set of terms and conditions from, from five or ten years ago or something that's been cobbled together or borrowed or modified along the way. Um, you really want, want agreements that suit the specific types of services that you're providing. So why, why do you think um, the majority of the industry doesn't have material contracts? They either don't have anything or they've got that cobbled together um, or legacy yeah. Contracts. I think traditionally, um, with you know support services and even moving into managed services from there, you know there hasn't there hasn't been anything really much in writing. There has been that trust, and probably it's it's partially because it's hard to write it. It's hard to write those agreements, you know. And so, you know, when I started. Um, uh, as, a, as an IT lawyer back in the early 90s, I only spent one one or two years as a general commercial lawyer in a big law firm, and then I I um, got attracted into the team within the law firm that was you know looking after Bell South that had come into New Zealand. So I was put onto IT contracts, and you know before it was probably a little bit like oil and water. You know here's here's your IT, and here's lawyers. Like what do lawyers know about that? And why, how, why, and how would we write down what's actually going on, you know? So I think there's still quite a lot of that, is where would an MSP go to get the right sorts of contracts? And if they, if they go along to their local lawyer, the lawyer is likely not to have um, much, if any, experience in advising managed service providers, you know, so mm. they don't get a good result, and so I guess that that means they they think, oh well, you know, it's it's um it's not something I need to really do, or it's not so important because the lawyers don't even know how to do this, you know, um, and it is a very specialised area. So a lot of lawyers, you know, they're doing they they might do the the MSPs um, property work or the lease, their employment, their company structure, but turn around and say, I need, you know, a managed firewall agreement or I need something when, for when I'm reselling Microsoft Cloud services or, you know, how do I protect myself against a cyber attack? The lawyer is often not going to have any experience to be able to help with that. And that obviously not only makes the process more difficult, it doesn't actually help um, the MSP owner understand their risks and their their contractual obligations and I guess that's that's the first hurdle and I guess that's why most people copy copy other people's contracts isn't it mm, mm, yeah 
And that's, you know, that then leads into, you know, it, even if that contract was right for the, the company that you're borrowing it from, you know, it may not be right for you, you know, so, so you can see that. And then people start to, oh, that's a good clause, we'll put that in, you know, that's a good clause. And over time, they end up with this kind of really, you know, house that Jack built kind of agreement that doesn't really hang together well and doesn't serve, you know, uh, the purpose, which really should be around reducing those areas of business risk. So with that in mind, what is, what is the components of a good contract? At right. a high level? So, you know, I, I, um, at a high level, there's really, there's really two key components. One is, you know, often the part that's, that's typically focused on, which I would call the lawyer's part, and that's the part, you know, where I mentioned earlier that people see contracts as there for the worst case scenario. The lawyer's part kind of focuses on that, and that is, you know, your limitation of liability, your indemnities, your warranties, all those sorts of things that, that probably, to be fair, um, not many people apart from the lawyers fully understand. And, you know, you want that in there, of course, but you don't want to be relying on that. What you want is what I call the proactive protection part of the contract, and that is, what are you actually agreeing? What are you agreeing to do, to deliver, to provide? What are you expecting from the customer? Um, what are the commercial elements around pricing, term, and so on? And really getting those parts fine-tuned um, helps you to stay away from really needing, um, ever needing, hopefully, the what I call the lawyer's part. But you need to bring those two things together into you know, a contract that um, works well, that's easy to read. I think that's a really key component. You know, a lot of people have, okay, I've got the contract, tick. I have no idea what it means um, uh, because it's full of legalese or, you know, you also don't want it full of technical jargon. You know, because if you think about it, you know, your customers, as an MSP, your customer's got a, a really low level of understanding of the services you provide relative to the MSP themselves. So when you come to agree on the services, you want to put that into a language that's meaningful not only to you, but to your customers as well. I, I, I really love that concept around the, the proactive measures and Helping your, helping your clients understand what you're actually providing. Um, I, I'm just going to put you on the spot a little bit. Let's talk about a BCDR a, a contract. Uh, what, what are the typical components there that we're talking about on this proactive side that we'd be talking to our to our clients inside the contracts? Um, you mentioned right. pricing before. What else is what else yeah. is there? So, well, it's going to vary, you know, as to what's in your BCDR service from MSP to MSP. But, you know, obviously you want what is what is the ongoing monthly service that you're providing? Um, you know, if you look at the disaster recovery plan, when are you going to prepare that? How often are you going to update it? How much input do you require from the customer and how frequently? Um, are you, is there going to be any testing around, you know, how that plan works? Um, rather than, you know, you're seeing um, people sometimes will have a BCDR agreement and it might mention, yes, we're going to develop this plan. Does that plan ever get actually written? You know, which is verging onto another area, you know, that not only you, you need the contract, but you need to actually put into play what's in it, what's expected from both parties in it. So in terms of the BCDR... You know, a key component is, you know, 
producing that plan um, a lot of the time. So you'll have provisions around that in your agreement, but then to actually um, do that, you know, so you don't have the disaster situation and, you know, where's the disaster recovery plan? Those sorts of things, you know. Okay, so it's the, it's operationalising the delivery really around that detail. Like I, I'm assuming we would want to outline things like our retention policies and that level of detail. It doesn't need to be technical, but like what you said, it's so the client understands what they're actually getting. That's and right. To your point around the trust, the trust, um, this is where the trust gets misaligned, isn't it? Because they're trusting initially that the person's going to do the right things, but then they're unsure what they've actually paid for. Um, mm, that's, that's right. That's, that's right. That's where the you spiral know, starts. And I think that that you know, if you are um, putting this in writing, it helps the customer to understand, as you've just mentioned, what they're paying for, because you know it's it's uh, it's one of those things. You know, if everything's going really smoothly, then the customer doesn't notice any problems. So why am I paying you? Um, there's nothing going wrong, you know. <laughs> um, so they need to be to need to articulate that to customers and remind them of what's going on. And you know, things are not um, standing still. Things are actually, you know, being updated for you. And this is, you know, this is an ongoing process. Um, it's not just a matter of you know, sign here and then you'll start paying a monthly amount. You know. And I guess going back to what you're talking about before is the uh, everyone gets caught up on the legal lease side, which most of us don't understand and don't and our lawyers don't really talk to us about that detail around the operation, the proactive side and operationalizing it. So we get caught up in this chaos of unknown. It's not something we're capable, uh, comfortable working in. But the, what you just pointed out with the proactive side. I think even um, even that a lot of people are uncomfortable because now they've got to stop and work through that level of detail of what are, what That's what right. are actually my services. That's right, and you know we we find that quite a lot. Uh, you know uh, the MSP wants the agreement; they uh, you know be prompted to to actually define and describe what it is they're doing. And if they're not clear on that themselves, then obviously it makes it very difficult to put that into an agreement. So by going through the process of actually having service-specific agreements, um, the, the MSP can actually um, clarify their service a lot more. You know, um, if, if their service is not well-defined, then they're likely to be doing a lot of work that's out of scope without charging anything extra for that. Um, they might be having some projects coming in or, you know, mini projects that start to get treated under a, under a monthly commitment simply because they haven't really defined what it is well enough um, for the in-scope, out-of-scope situation to be um, managed well. In that, that scope management is a, um, is a great point because I think going back to what you mentioned before where people have legacy agreement, uh, contracts that they might have done like five, ten years ago and the landscape has changed. We haven't updated those contracts in our service descriptions. We all know our clients assume we're, we're doing all the cybersecurity work for them that we've never actually sold or said that we'd provide. Um, that's, mm. that's a prime example of this scope creep. 
Oh, that's um, absolutely right. You know, um, and the same could be said if you're if you're providing one agreement. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, you uh, hit the nail on the head with that. You know, the customer does have the expectation. They make a lot of assumptions about what their uh, the MSP is doing if that's not well defined. And so, you know, the MSP in the customer's mind is responsible for all backups, for all cybersecurity. You know, everything's taken care of, and really. You know, if you if you look at in contrast, you know, let's say you've got a, a firewall, okay, you're providing that firewall to the customer. Are you also managing that firewall or not? You know, does the customer understand um, what they're actually getting for their money? Are they getting the firewall? Are they getting the management of the firewall as well or not? And, you know, once you articulate that and define that into service-specific agreements, then uh, it you know, produces that upside of being able to upsell the customer because the customer is going to be more clear on what they're getting and what what they're not getting. And I think we as an industry are generally afraid of this because I think for a long time, and you touched on this, we, um, we've sold the smoke and mirrors of we'll just take care of your IT. That's how we got people converted onto managed services. We didn't have enough maturity and detail around that. We haven't reset those expectations. So this leads into my next question of we've gone through this process. We've realized that we need more modern contracts and we, we spent time redefining our services and we've got good maturity there. What's the best way to go and contract clients? If we've only ever had handshake agreements, do we just throw it at them, get them to sign it? Or is there a different process to this? I think, uh, you know, you, you can just throw it at them and, and hopefully they would sign it. But I think perhaps a better way is to position the, you know, if you've never had contracts with a, with a particular customer before, to actually position it as a benefit for them as well. You know, so I think it's fair to say that a lot of customers probably don't like being in the dark either about what's going on. You know, they're paying this money. They really don't know exactly what they're paying for and what they're getting and what they're not getting a lot of the time. And they are increasingly nervous as well about whether everything that's meant to be getting done is done, um, whether they've got the right range of services from their, from their IT company, whether they need to engage separate, you know, cybersecurity specialists, for example, or, you know, so... It can be also a weight off the customer's mind to have this nicely laid out for them as to this is what you're getting at the moment, this is what you're paying for, this is how it all works, this is what we're not doing for you at the moment, which we could and we recommend, you know, um, and really put that nice and clearly to the customer. So I think rather than just sending it out, I, I think it, it deserves that positioning as a benefit for the customer, because I indeed see it as not just a you know a huge benefit for the MSP, but also a corresponding strong benefit for the customer. I think it's some great advice because I think that um, that reframing and then helping the client understand what you do and you don't do will create a good, healthy um, level of conversation around. Oh, I thought you did cyber security. Well, no, that's it. that's in this service. We haven't been able to do that because it's extra cost, it's extra work, it's it's a changing environment and being able to reframe them. And I, what I think off the back of this as well is what's happening I'm noticing is 
a lot more of the clients' business advisors are pushing this this sort of um, discussion as well. The insurance brokers, their lawyers, their accountants are pushing the level of maturity of the clients of how to, they need to operate. And if you and as, as a their current provider isn't coming in and having these level of conversations and having it clearly outlined, uh, especially if they've got a board in place and all that sort of risk, you're mm. you're at threat of um, being left behind because of the your lack of maturity level um, of the expectations of the clients these days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the insurance amongst those, you know, the insurance is increasingly, you know, they need to have contracts in place with the customers for insurance purposes. And likewise, the customer will often need to have those written contracts in place as well. And, you know, in the in the insurance for the customer, um, there's there, there are sections on, you know, are all these things taken care of in terms of your or IT systems and you know so the need to often raise that with the IT T company um, the MSP um, in order to respond to those questions so you know the the two um, certainly tie together but I think you know the insurance like the lawyers part of the contract is really for that kind of worst case scenario and you know the whole proactive piece around you know what's in and, and this is leads into you know, time and money savings for the MSP leads into a drastic reduction in, you know, revenue leakage is around, you know, out of scope, in scope, out of scope, dealing with cyber attacks, cyber attacks, dealing with Microsoft under NCE, dealing with reselling other third party cloud services, dealing with, hey, what's the value of my business when I want to exit in the future? Um, you know, the upsell opportunity that I mentioned, there are so many reasons apart from that worst case scenario to make you know um, dealing with contracts a really a really valuable thing for any any MSP you know so it's not all kind of doom and gloom and I hate contracts it's actually like this is going to be good for you <laughs> I, I think that's a great great mindset to have and I, I, to reiterate your point around the, the clarity internally and externally about knowing that it can reduce the amount of backwards and forwards on scope discussions. If some, like you said, something comes in, it seems like it should be a project and build separately from our agreement. It's very easy for anyone to go back to what the contract says. The, it's been agreed to, that's what it is. And it becomes especially important as employee churn is around, um, both for us as the MSP and the clients that maybe we all knew inside the MSP, what we sold and delivered five years ago, but now we've got a whole bunch of new people. How much time does that cause you as the owner or a leader to have to answer all the questions, what's in and out of scope, because you don't have a contract to fall back on. Mm. Same as mm. the, con the um, your client, that their management layer has changed. They don't know what's been provided anymore. That I can just, that time will just add up con constantly across a big client base. Mm, that's right. You know, the, yeah, there are various people within both organisations that need to know really what what the nature of the service commitments are, what the nature of the of the agreements are, and you know, it's it's one thing for it to be in a contract somewhere if that is the case, but it's another thing for that to be to be known by the right level of people and have that depth of operational consistency with what's in the agreement. doesn't mean to say that a whole bunch of people in your MSP need to read the contract, but they, they should really be, be working in, in a way that's consistent with what's been agreed. So 
the word consistent there is it just triggered me. What's best practice for, for contracts as an MSP? Should we have a bespoke one for every engagement that we have? Should we have a completely rigid one that has no flexibilities? There's somewhere in between. What what would you usually it's, recommend? It's, you know, it's good to um, it's good to have agreements that that work for most of the services that you provide. You don't want to be spending a lot of time each time you sign up a new client. Uh, or signing up a new client on a new service, you know, uh, having to go back and, and get new agreements. So you want to have them set up to suit the services that you're providing, you know. Um, and then hopefully when, if they're set up appropriately, then when you are signing up a new client or a new client for a particular service, um, there's not too much to do, you know. So you certainly want some flexibility, but you want to have it set up, and I think that's where you know, a little bit of, of time going in to see what is our service, you know, some, it does trigger then, you know, what are the details of, of your service commitment um, and putting some work into that so that your agreements can reflect that, you know. Okay. Because uh, I think that's an important thing to, um, I might just use the 80-20 rule that you want to keep 80% of your contracts the same and then the 20% that's different it's explicitly shown in a, in a way that people can see because I've seen way too many times where people have gone and modified each individual contract, even if they've had a template, and then yes. that's caused yeah. issues. Yeah. I mean, it just makes it a lot easier to manage if you know that 80% at least of your contracts are the same or largely the same. And, you know, if you get customer pushback, a lot of the time that pushback is the customer doesn't understand why something is that way it doesn't mean you quickly jump in and change it it's often a matter of explaining this is how we work uh this is why it's like this or you know um justifying um why something is the way it is because otherwise you are going to end up with you know different different versions of your kind of so-called standard agreement for everybody and that makes it harder to manage and i guess this is often we jump at it because we don't understand the legalese I guess so. I'm curious from you, how much how much do the legals change? You mentioned ages ago that maybe our contracts for ten years ago don't really don't really fit the modern world. Mm. How, how often is this legislation and stuff changing that can affect our contracts? Yeah, so, so there's four main reasons why MSPs would need to update their agreements. Probably, uh, certainly one of those is law changes, but it's the least frequent. The changes that happen more often are, you know what services are the, is the MSP providing? And, you know, if I said to an MSP, um, you know, who told me they hadn't updated their contracts for five years, you know, have your services changed in the last five years? Of course, you know. Um, so, you, you know, that's one thing. When you change your services, update your contracts to reflect, you know, because it's changing what you're agreeing with the customer. Another one is you start to attract bigger customers or different customers. You need to update your agreements because, you know, you send um, the same agreement to, you know, a very small company as you would to a very large company when you start attracting that larger customer, uh, you you may not um, win the business because of that or it may take longer um, because of that. So you want to serve up agreements that are appropriate not only for your services but also for the size and nature of your of your clients. And then another thing that goes on is market changes. So the NCE changes were a good example of that, um, where you know um, MSPs should have updated their contracts around reselling 
um, you know, 365 under NCE. Um, so those those three, and then you know the legal the legal change as well. So as I said at the outset to that question, um, those are the the least frequent changes. So the law moves a little more slowly, but all the other things happen more frequently. That said, the legal changes it's imperative that people do update their contracts with the laws um, for their jurisdiction. You know, um, this is probably. Uh, uh, a good point of the reason why you need to not treat um, this project to get um, contracts as a transactional one and done engagement. It's an ongoing relationship with your lawyer or someone like yourself to um, keep up with the changes and know when to refresh um, their contracts Absolutely. and agreements. Yeah. So uh, time-wise, which you asked me at the, at the beginning of this particular part of the discussion, I would say it's more likely every every um, kind of six to 18 months, depending on which service it is and, you know, which services you're starting to provide. You know, a lot of MSPs are bringing in more and more types of cybersecurity services, then they need, a, you know, appropriate agreements for those. And, and so talking about some best practices, you've mentioned a few times like the different services. So what's the, what's the sort of best practices around the high level structures of your of your contracts do you have one contract that covers absolutely everything that you do do you have term, terms and conditions do you have a master services arrangement what sort of best practice in in that sort of yeah, structural so level i, I think uh, it does tend to make sense to have terms and conditions which are which are general across all of your services in one place, which is like an umbrella over the top of everything, whether that's a master terms and conditions or a master services agreement, um, probably getting those in in the, the easiest way possible uh, relevant to the particular laws of your jurisdiction. But um, in addition to that, obviously having service specific. So if you try and have too few agreements covering too many of your services, That'll just create, for one, confusion with your customers as to what they're actually getting and which part of the agreements apply to them. And uh, it actually increases your business risk. If you try and put too many services into one agreement, um, immediately the customer is more encouraged to, to make assumptions and have expectations. Conversely, if you have service-specific, it's easier to put effectively like boundaries around each of your services um, containing the risk to that particular service and, and the service commitment to that particular service, meanwhile leaving open the uh, opportunity to upsell other services. So that's what I see as is really the, the best practice for MSPs. Okay. And just another question that uh, just sparked for me as we were, we were thinking about that is, inclusions and exclusions, do I need to document every possible exclusion that could fall into that type of service or is it um, or do we just base it off what's implicitly included what how, how does that sort of I work? I think yeah the, the level of detail is really um, de deciding the level of detail is a really a matter of experience if you have agreements and you're um, describing things too loosely then that's going to that's going to um, uh, be adverse for the MSP a lot of the time because you know a, a, a description that's too general means it's more likely um, going to be the customer that that um, that you know you want to look after and so in a, in a loose interpretation you're going to favour the customer's you know interpretation as such or expectation of the service. 
So that really comes down to probably experience in actually the way things are described, you know. Um, and, you know, if, if you write something into an agreement describing a particular part of your service, look at it from the customer's perspective. Is it the way you expect it? you know, uh, uh, as closely defined as what you're envisaging, or could the customer from your general description have a much broader view of what your service includes? And, and so that probably gives you some guidance for yourself on, on um, the level of detail that's required. You know, um, there's certain ways that we write contracts and write contractual descriptions, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, they need to be sufficiently certain and sufficiently detailed so as to not create any um, un uh, ambiguity. That's a very that's a very good point. And I think in that process of you developing up that sort of service description stuff, the best thing you can do is go get some friendly parties that you can actually that are non-technical that you can walk through this whole process. They'll they'll ask a whole bunch of questions. You'll have to answer them, and you'll find that those detail gaps in. Um, and the service descriptions that you can fill out because I think you struggle as an MSP owner to know how the client's perceiving it, I think, because yeah. you just have all this inbuilt years of assumptions that you're making. It's a really key part of the contract, you know, um, the, the way services are described. Often, you know, in a project, in a statement of work, why is that and it's such an important part of the contract, well, that is the part that I mentioned earlier, you know, what are you actually doing, you know, and, and, you, and you've got to write that with a sufficient degree of certainty. Just to throw out a question here, is that something lawyers do on your behalf or is it something that the owners need to actually sit down and do themselves to write out the service descriptions? Uh, depends on the lawyer, I guess, um, and... Um, you know, uh, uh, typically the you know what the what the service is needs to come from the MSP, but the the the, the way that's actually written, you know, some some legal expertise over that is um, uh, potentially very helpful. The reason why I throw that up because I think um, most owners that I talk to, when I'm talking to them about this contract process and service descriptions. They just want it give it given it to them rather than going through the process where once I've helped them actually think through this process and understand what they're doing and get them to write it down and give them a structure, they actually they're actually very thankful for going through the process because all of a sudden they've seen all the ambiguity, they've been able to tighten everything up. Now, now they fully understand it, now they can pass it through to their teams. And, and there's a very valuable process through through actually understanding this instead of trying to palm it off to someone else and have it sort of templatized and silver bullet yeah. solutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the base level, you know, I mean, no no one can um, can know what your services are unless you provide that starting point. I I think that's that's a very good ending point to start to start to wrap up. Um, it's been a fascinating session for me. I feel like I've learned a lot from you, Anne. What, what would you like people that have been listening along to this session, what do you want them to, the main takeaway um, to be from it? And what are some next logical action steps for people? Sure. So I think that, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me 
on on the on the show. Uh, it's been really great to, to talk with you, and I've really appreciated and enjoyed our conversation as well. I think um, the key takeaways would be have your contracts in writing, and make sure that your contracts address the sorts of business risks that you're actually concerned about. You know, um, so so that that's a really key focus, and often different than having just simply a set of terms and conditions. Um, the next thing would be in terms of what to, what to do next. Um, have a look at your existing contracts, see how they shape up based on what, what you and I have discussed uh, in terms of the, the proactive element and, and the lawyer's part. What would your customer think when they get this agreement? Would they understand your service as a, you know, as a result of reading your agreement? Would they understand what it is they can, they can expect out of the relationship and the specific types of services that you're providing. And are you leaving enough room for upsell? And, you know, and I think, as you mentioned earlier, it's not a once and done. Think about how often uh, things change in your world and when those changes occur, think about uh, updating your agreements to suit. Well, there's some great advice and wisdom you shared with us today. And I... My final thought as well is the value, the piece of value that we didn't touch on was not only are they helpful with our client arrangements, it's actually even more helpful to increase our business value when we're exiting as well. So there's Absolutely. multiple multiple streams of why this is so important, why, why we should be doing it. So thank you so much for joining me, Anne. It's been a great conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm sure I'll have you on again in the future because things change and we'll, we'll mm -hmm. get the latest advice in the near future. Excellent. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks, James.